Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program, and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. You really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. So I got a haircut. Nice. Because it's summer. and Of course. And uh, that's apparently there are summer hairdos, right? Yeah, Didn't obviously. So yeah. I wanted to get a fringe, like um, kind of reinstated. Uh-huh. But uh, she said, maybe leave that for winter. Uh-huh. She said, like, during summer, you'll get sweaty. You don't want something on your forehead. And I was like, write that. So mm-hmm. I've got a side part now. And yeah, the back of my neck has so been itching great. for the past few weeks. Because, like, yeah, my hair has grown longer quite quickly. It had grows very long. And now I've just shaved. Like, I want – I really love it. I love that. Mm-hmm. So she says um, I have a long neck. Oh, you do? So, um, yeah. I suit, I suit, like, a long, a shorter haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Should we do our introduction? And then my, my, my partner before was saying, you look like Helen. <laughs> yeah, we've got the similar hair length. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I look like a Korean mum. <laughs> You're profiling yourself. Yeah, I know. So this is Jessie. <laughs> and this is Helen. And we're Asian Bitches Down Under. Um, recording on the last week of November, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Final episode for November 20th. November, yeah. Crazy month. So the World Cup has started. Um, anyone, anyone in your part of the world, fan a fan of that sport, Helen? Oh, uh, I know a couple of my friends online. Football? They watch it, but I don't yeah. watch it. Like I know yeah. the controversy behind the Qatar. Oh my god, it's so uh, abominable, so, right? I, I mean, I, I'm really never unethical. a fan. So yeah, I'm never a fan of football. Yeah, like I might watch the finals, but that's yeah, about it. And that's I exactly like what I said. Whole hype yeah. and the violence and those kind of fanatic behaviors from the football fans. So yeah. I'm not really a fan. Yeah. You know, um, the last time the World Cup was mm-hmm. on, my mother and I, we were in France. 2018. Yeah, it was It was amazing. I cannot believe that was four years ago. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Crazy times. So, Helen, um, let's start off. How was your week? Yeah, my week's been fine and funny that my daughter came home the other day and we went out for a dog walk. Uh-huh. Usually during our afternoon dog walk, she will share with, share some of the funny things that happened at school. Oh, Which I love that. I think I, I love walk and talk. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting around dinner table, it's a bit hard when you try to eat and talk. Yeah. Walk and talk is our routine during the week. Yeah. I love that. And she was telling me that um, they had a class assignment where they have to draw a, an imaginary cubby house. So everyone comes up with this creativity, um, imaginary of what they want if they want one day they build a cubby house. And she was telling me how some of the, this is her words, she said mm. that 
oh my god my classmates are just so stereotypical they drew um brooms like this is from like nine and ten years old um mom's cooking rooms mom's laundry room oh my god and dad's gaming room and she was just so she, she wasn't upset but she was just you know showing her irritation through her facial expression as usual saying that why are the rooms that my friends design for their moms are all working rooms where I said, yeah. have the fun rooms. yeah yeah i love yeah. that she's so aware of the gender divide yeah so she was a little bit pissed off yeah what did she draw i actually didn't ask her she told me that oh i just drew our house and you know i want playroom and tv room but i don't put names on it because i think that everyone she you know, it's a share public area. Yeah, I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. really beautiful. That's and really you were just saying that, why did my friend say mom's cooking room? Isn't that just kitchen? <laughs> yeah, because I suppose 99% of households have mothers cooking. Mothers cooking. Yeah, I know. You know, kids learn what they see. Yeah. What about you? Apart from the haircut, well, what else has been happening? Well, recovered from COVID, maybe like 95%. I believe I went on a little um, spew about it last week, didn't I? <laughs> Uh, recording in the kitchen pantry, in the pantry with my herbs behind me. Uh-huh. I feel like I need to get a ring light or something. Yeah, sometimes I feel like that too. Yeah, we need to do something about that. <laughs> we will. We will. We will soon, listeners. Um, I have been watching. I'm not sure if I touched on this last week, um, but I believe we might have. Um, Flashman is in trouble. Um, yes. Did we talk about the show or did we just uh, talk about we didn't talk about the show we say we're anticipating oh okay yeah, yeah. i um so the first three the first two episodes have dropped mm-hmm. and i believe the third one will drop um today so i'm gonna okay, look cool, forward to cool, watching cool. it uh, i just have some thoughts you know um, i think it's amazing so if you don't know it's um streaming on Disney Plus. Uh, Disney Plus, that's right. Hulu, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, and uh, Claire Danes plays Rachel Fleischman and Jesse Eisenberg plays Toby, Fleisch- uh, Toby Fleischman. And Helen and I, when we first talked about this casting, I actually was like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, how's that going to work? Know, I-, I thought that was kind of a strange casting. But two episodes in, uh-huh. I think it's actually quite perfect because um, You're convinced. There's like a neurosis about him and his he's been... Mm-hmm the male identity that really encapsulates. And there are parts of sort of the Jewish um, neuroses that uh, Jesse Eisenberg uh, also displayed in the social network that okay. sort of streams yeah. in, I yeah. feel like, with okay. Flashman. Um, and so I've like, I thought like, you know, two episodes down, I think he's mm-hmm. spectacularly well cast. Um, I'm, I'm on board with that. And um, Helen, are you up to date? Just want to ask the episodes. No, I, no, I haven't okay. stopped watching it. I'm waiting for at least for five episodes to so be So you can out. binge it. Then I can binge it. Yeah. Okay. It, fine. It's Fair like enough. Forty forty five minutes per. Yeah, episode. it's not very. Yeah, it's not, not over very an hour, so yeah, it's bingeable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so um, Claire Danes uh mm. plays Rachel Flashman, and I think it's amazing that um yeah. they managed to make make Claire Danes look ugly. Oh. Like Claire Danes is one of the most beautiful people on the planet, like mm-hmm. aesthetically. But like she plays this woman and her character is portrayed um in a way that if I hadn't read the book, I just I don't think I would I don't think I would have kept going on to watch the third 
maybe like if you if because there's a twist at the end of the second um episode which i won't spoil for you but um since you've read the book you probably know what um they brought it kind of closer to the beginning of the story all right um but um but they've managed to make her so just unlike unlikable and mm. awful and like ugly that is just like almost infuriating to watch and they also do that with the daughter hannah you know how they have two kids had um hannah oh, who's like i always thought that 11 the or 12 years old. yeah hannah the the daughter is always unlikable she you is awful not, yeah she's yeah. just like the most insufferable uh, like not physically ugly, over the top her character is so ugly. teenager yeah she's yeah. insufferable she she's like permanently scowling mm. and like i cannot I, I, like if i didn't read the book i don't think i would have kept watching mm -hmm. um but because i am so invested in the book i'm going to keep watching the show and it does get like it does there's a twist at the end of the second episode there's a hook that makes you want to keep watching uh. um but but that's yeah that's my first recommendation of the week Flashman is in trouble, um, and I can't wait for you to binge it. What about you, Helen? What have you? What was? What would you be recommending this week on the screen? Okay, so it's neither recommendation or a non-encourageable sort of movie. Um, I'm feeling a bit neutral about this movie that I saw recently. Uh, it's called Drive My Car. It's a 2021 Japanese drama film directed mm -hmm. by Yusuke. What's his name? Hamaguchi. Yeah. Yep. And it's based on the short story by by uh, ha <laughs> what's his name? Murakami. Murakami. Yeah, Haruki Murakami. Yeah. yeah. So this movie won the best international film at the Oscar this year. I think. Yeah. Yeah, the best. Oh, I did. What, did, you, I what is it called? What's the category? Best is it called international film? International film or foreign? Oh, no, language? I think it's foreign. Yeah. I think it used to be called best foreign film language, uh, film foreign film, but yeah. that might change because I feel yeah. like it's a bit or uh, it's a bit othering these days yeah. to, to call it a foreign it, film. It's true. Yeah. So this movie centers the theater director, which is played by a rather popular Japanese actor. He's like a veteran in his late forties, I think. Um. Hidatoshi Nishijima, yeah. So he's a theater director who directs a multilingual production or uh, called Uncle Venya, which is I looked up. It's a Russian theater work. Mm. Yeah, while he was dealing with the death of his wife, um, like you said, that the mo the film is based on Haruki Murakami's short story "Drive My Car." um this film is rather long it's almost three hours so oh it my God. us kill me <laughs> three evenings to finish because we have a lot of other things to do in our life can't really finish like three hour film um in white night so a very lengthy film that captures a great um landscape that's mm. sort of sad bleak and desolate of the winter in japan mm. I think the message I interpret myself about this film is about grief and how Japanese are very reserved about their emotion when it comes to grief. They kept themselves within that sort of image. They would prudently conduct themselves to kind of conform into a certain image that society expect them to uphold. Mm. So even when he found out um, his wife was cheating on him, the mm. skin and also there's a scene of him and his wife going to a shrine to uh, uh for the, his dead daughter's like remembrance like memorial mm -hmm. like the annual ceremony they do to remember their dead daughter 
they kept like a certain composure that it's almost like they were so subservient to life or they gave up already. Um, mm. I think a lot of people, it's not, it's almost like an art house kind of movie. So not so much as an entertaining type of movie if someone who wants excitement, but um, you need to watch it with a certain mature mentality because in contrast within the film that the theatre play, which is presented throughout the film, something is a bit more exciting, I think, because uh, in contrast that the theatre production within the film is more entertaining while I was watching because it's a it's something I've never seen before in a lot of theatre productions. You have the theatre production, usually it's in monolingual or bilingual and that's it. But what happens in the movie is that this director, he is a bit more experimental, so he wants to incorporate different languages within the same production. So they have, and actually during the play, they have a screen on top of the stage to show the, like what we do when we're watching a foreign movie, they have subtitles, but they have multiple actors and actresses speaking different languages. At the same time? Yeah, um, not at the same time, but their dialogue oh. is in different languages. So they had Chinese, they had Korean, they had Indonesian. Um, I don't think they had English actors, but they had um, an actor I, I presume was speaking Russian, the original mm. script. Yeah, and also the actual, there's actually a Korean sign language actor as well. Wow. So, um, I found that was quite innovative. Um, I was looking up the review for this movie. The New Yorker's Kevin DeTima De, De um, wrote a beautiful piece upon the second viewing of this movie. He goes into detail to actually analyze the insinuation behind the movie with mm. the theater work, um, which kind of intertwines the protagonist's struggle to face his wife's affair and also her death right yeah in some way i think it's very similar to what the the narratives of flashman in is in trouble yeah in what way it, as in the middle-aged man trying to confront the struggles in the marriage yeah but trying to at the same time he's trying he doesn't know how to pro process that kind of emotion and you see if Flashman is in trouble in the novel. I don't know what, how closely they adapted within the TV series, but mm. in the novel he goes out and he starts seeking, um, he uses dating apps, you know, and mm. sleeping with other women, whereas um, in uh, Drive My Drive Car, my car. Mm. the Japanese protagonist, is he, the way that he processed that kind of grief and anger in a very different way that he kept within himself. Mm. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's all part of the Japanese culture. Yeah, so it, for me, I don't know whether or not I should recommend or encourage people to see it. It's a bit neutral for me. It's a rather abstract philosophical film, if I may say so. The only scene that truly captured my emotion is probably towards the end where the protagonist is, you know, his name's Kafuku. Um, he really let go of his grief um, and he sobbed and he actually mm. confronted to this, um, his driver who is half of his age 
um, trying to rectify that kind of emotion and apologize to his dead wife. Is there um, a romance between them? No, there's no romance. There's a bit more um, kind of like a platonic friendship. Yeah, because the, the, yeah. Driver, the female driver is half of his age and there's one uh, one of his line he's saying that oh, if my daughter was still alive, she will be 23 years old now, which is the yeah. age of um, the young female driver. So I uh, read this short story um, thanks to my brother who lend me, who led me uh, the collection. So the no, Murakami's read, collection okay, yeah. Yeah, is called Men Without Women. And I just thought that's a really beautiful title. And I didn't think, like, I think his writing is really stunning. Like, I actually haven't read any of his books, but mm -hmm. I enjoyed his short story oh, collection. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, this one, this particular story, um, the, I, I believe it's the first one. I believe it's the opening short story. Oh, this very slim collection of short stories book um and i didn't really like it only in this because like um it seemed to i was just like here's another middle-aged man using the proximity emotional proximity of a woman in order to explore his own internal grief and emotions you know it felt like to me it fetishized women in a way that it kind of used women the proximity of a woman in order to just achieve his own redemption or or mm. valid or um or vindication you know mm. um and so that's why when i saw that this film this book was uh this film was being um a book was being adapted sorry the short story has been adapted i kind of just shrugged i was like it's it's you know the new yorker is going to love it it's like mm -hmm. the same allure as like i don't know kind of art house french style movies yeah, yeah. that are like you can't you, people you can't really criticize it because it's just so cinematic mm -hmm. i feel like um that kind of book that kind of story lends itself so well to being put onto the big screen um mm -hmm. because people like that shit. um i personally yeah. probably won't watch it only because it's used like you said helen three and a half what'd you say three hours yeah it's almost three i can't hours. i can't do anything long. longer than an hour and a half or two hours like two hours is really uh, like hitting the max for me mm. but um anything over two hours is yeah i cannot sit for that long i, I do believe that if both the story and the movie are good works however i think they the adaptation went out its way to present the original in a different sense because in the original short story the writer the author mainly focused on the conversations between the two men as in the the theater director and then his conversation with the younger guy who actually you know was the the affair of his wife um right. yeah like you said i think i'm, I'm uh, like reflecting on what you said i agree that in the story that two men actually using the woman as a kind of a proxy to elaborate their um emotions yeah the woman there the wife was uh, almost like a prop isn't, isn't yeah. It? yeah and um i don't know how the film does it but i remember that in Murakami's short story the 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 young woman she has no internal life she has she's not given any um, internal life whatsoever so i'm yeah. like this is all about the dude this yes, is, exactly. You know, yeah, it's just it doesn't do it for me. It's still centering very much on the male characters rather than the female characters because from the very beginning, um, 
the movie starts the first 30 minutes actually sets a prelogue compared to what the novel is um the novel just goes in straight that the um the wife is dead you know mm. early on but whereas the movie there's like a prelogue setting up um for what will happen in the later um scenarios of the movie whereas um the novel is very different um yeah and the, and the other female character the driver the young female driver there's really not much essence yeah yeah it's, it's a bit sad actually come to think of it it's a bit irritating yeah obviously that there wasn't much elements that was invested in the her story exactly. yeah in her story yeah I was thinking about uh, short story to film adaptations while you were talking about this, and I think the the, the one and only one um, that I can think of that was absolutely brilliant is one of my favorite, probably the favorite short story of, of my life. It's called Another Country by David Constantine, and it was adapted into a film called Forty Five Years, mm-hmm. um, starring I believe it's Charlotte Rampling and Tom Holland. Perhaps um, maybe I'm butchering that, but uh, it's a movie from a few years ago, and I saw it at the Govindas at Govindas, which is a kind of family-owned uh, ve- vegetarian buffet place that where you can also see a movie. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and um, this is the most exquisite. This is both the short story and the film, mm-hmm. just fine pieces of work. Absolutely, devastatingly, like well, well made. I think there's something to say about the um suitability of and the 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 way in which short story so easily lends itself to being put onto the big screen mm-hmm. it's almost like the short story is like a template in which a like you know 90 minute screenplay can be carved out um mm-hmm. and shaped um can you think off the top of your head helen any other short story to film adaptations that you've enjoyed um i would like to see the convenience store woman to be adapted. well that's that's more like a novella but yeah yeah but convenience store woman will make a good a- adaptation absolutely yeah absolutely but even the tv series i think it, the story is a bit long it's it's almost like a slim novel mm, yes uh, convenience store woman um can't think of anything on top of my head right now but i i had a couple of uh very long uh, novels that are already hoping that it will be adapted into yeah. feature film or even TV series. Yeah. What are you thinking? I think this is something that I don't think you will like. But uh, this year I read uh, John of Arc, the English. Oh, yeah. yeah, John of Arc. I think I would like to see something kind of sort of like medieval genre to be yeah. into. I don't want to. I don't want to see another shitty stuff like uh, the similar genre of. Game of Thrones, where they just you know focus on the male characters, but I like to see something around the similar um, storyline along Jorah of Arc, yeah. Centering an Asian female. Centering Asian, oh, I don't know about centering of Asian female, but after reading John of Arc, it actually provoked me of thinking that what if someone write um, a reimagined story of Mulan, <laughs> uh, starring who? I don't know starring who, but just someone who was, you know, just go and write it first and right. we'll think about, you know, the adaptation into films or TV series later. But um, 
Yeah. You mean like a, a reimagined Mulan where the main character is not an Asian? Is that what no, you mean? No, no. I think she she would still be Asian, but I'm just thinking that if someone could research into, I'm I'm pretty sure someone has already researched or studied Mulan, but just make her a bit more lively rather than a bit more comp- complex rather than a, a female character who is trying to save her dad and then dressed up as a man to go into yeah. war and that's it, you know. I, I want a more vibrant story about her. Yeah. Well, Helen, yeah. the offer's there. <laughs> the offer's there for you, yeah. If no one's done it, you do it. Yeah. So I want to move on to my uh, final recommendation uh, mm-hmm. and I guess cultural consumption for the week. Uh, I am reading Jessica Owl's Cold Enough for Snow. She is Jessica is a um, uh, Australian novelist, and this is her second book. Mm-hmm. I think her first book came out more than ten years ago. Her first book was called Cargo, which I haven't read, but when it came out, it was well received. This one is uh, universally also well received. Um, it won the inaugural uh, novel prize. Wow. Uh, it's just called the Nobel Prize. I'm yeah. not sure what it is, but this one is being published by Germondo. And I kid you not, Helen, this author mm-hmm. sounds and writes exactly like Katie Kitamura. Oh. It is like even even yeah. specific lines. I'm like, I swear I read this in Katie Kitamura's <gasps> books. Wow. Like I'm not saying that she plagiarized, but uh-huh. the, the everything about Similar this sentiment. is just so uh-huh. precisely Katie Kidabu. There's something it's up on your scary man. Yeah. It's so scary how how aligned she is to Katie Kidamura's style. Like she must have read Katie Kidamura's style and just thought, um, <laughs> I want to sound like that. And it's okay to imitate who you love. You know, I would love to. Mm-hmm. I would love to sound like Gio Tolentino in my essays. <laughs> Um, and I would love to write a book like Katie Kitamura, um, but I guess Jessica Owl, A-U, mm-hmm. is how you spell her surname, is, uh, has beat me to it. But this book um, I'm reading because it's very similar in premise to the book I'm trying to write uh, about, you know, a mother and a daughter traveling okay. to a foreign country. So Jessica Owl's book is a, just really basic. It's The premise is super basic. It's um, about a woman in her early 30s who goes to Tokyo and just has a trip with her mum. And that's it. I think I'm pretty. I'm halfway through, and I'm pretty sure from the reviews I've read from other from other reviewers that there's no plot. It's just like kind of meandering. And the okay. beauty of this book is like a travel journal, kind of yeah. But it's also very introspective. It's very psychological. She kind of goes into the stuff about like things about her mother's past, her own past. Oh, um, okay. So it's more like the, the travel journal. They talk about it's very literary. So remember Katie Kiramura, you know, very, very specific kind of nuanced, subtle, quiet language. Right. Yeah. This is exactly Katie. I cannot believe how I can, I'm like, sh- I've never read two book, a book that is so clearly in the style of another book ever. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this book just reads like intimacies. Um, but the fa- my favorite thing about this book, Helen, is the fact that it is only 98 pages. <gasps> I know it's so short. slim. It's so slim, and I, you know, how I feel about less slim than books. convenience store woman. I think yeah. convenience store woman just went goes went over a hundred pages or something. Con- like convenience store woman. I read in one sitting at yeah. the beach. It was what so. What about cool. this one? This one I've had to. I I read yes. I started it yesterday. I haven't. I haven't finished it only mm-hmm. because. Uh, it's not as plot driven as convenience store woman. It is like yeah. kind of meandering because it just yeah. follows a, a woman going through, you know, Tokyo, going to shops and galleries with her mum 
yeah yeah um but yeah honestly i i just think like i'm shocked at how katie kitamura like <laughs> this book is <laughs> not to not to reduce jessica our's abilities by the way mm. i don't want to sound like i'm diminishing her oh. i'm just saying yeah. it is so i, I ha- i've never read something that is more like another book than this mm. book okay yeah well, and finally nice. helen yeah um i start reading babel <laughs> Okay, by by who? By R.H. Kwan. Yes, Uh, she's a a Chinese American who is only like mid twenties. She's already. (laughs) Oh my god! Four, five. I know already. Yeah, what What a a champ! What a champ! I mean, I hate her, so I admire her. (laughs) So this book is um, you briefly mentioned a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago. Did Mm -hmm. you actually finish? No, I didn't. It was way too convoluted. Yeah, it, and it, you know how I feel about um, fantasy and speculative fiction. Yeah, I cannot do it. Yeah, it's specular historical fiction. Yeah, yeah. It's a rather long It's novel. like 750 pages, guys. <laughs> no, it's about 400 pages. Oh, yeah. is it? Whoops. It's a very thick novel, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. I'm actually onto like a quarter of it within, you know, a week. So Amazing, Helen. Amazing. I love this story surrounding the narratives of language and linguistics and colonization. So for anyone who hasn't who doesn't know, so it's basically a boy age about 10, 11, being picked up by this mysterious English man who claims to be not his father, but he has some resemblance to him. So the boy signed a contract and the Englishman became his guardian under whom he was housed, fed, and educated under his supervision for four and five years. Um, during this time, the boy learned Latin, Greek, and Chinese to prepare himself to gain access into the so-called Institute of Translation in Oxford, England. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this, uh, the historical fiction goes on about how uh, Britain colonizes other countries, not mil- not only through trade and military, but also language. Uh, to me, it's a very evocative storyline, you know, the cre- kind of creating the narrative through the historical fiction lens about language and linguistics um, colonization by the empire and explicitly present a disparity of the empire and the rest of the nations in the world that are clearly disadvantaged it reminds me of an earlier novel that i read a novel that i read earlier this year uh disorientation because it's also right, yes. language and colonization appropriation and language. power yeah. dynamics that's right white people yeah. and asians working that's in the right. space of language yeah. Two, another book i didn't finish <laughs> i never finished these books i start them and then i lose interest yeah, but I think, um, yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, so far, I think I'll continue and hopefully we'll finish by. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. All righty, guys. So let's take a break. And when we come back, Helen, what are we talking about? We're talking the concept of weaponizing competence. Have you ever experienced or done this before yourself? Weaponized incompetence. Inco- uh, what, what does exactly does that mean? Uh, we're going to come back and talk about it. Okay, so we're back. So on this week, uh, we are talking about weaponized incompetence. I came across this term a couple of weeks ago, but apparently this term has been thrown around on TikTok community in TikTok community, more specifically like in parenting and relationship categories since last year. 
Um, however, the behavior goes way, way, way back um, with an article back in 2007 while I was looking up uh, in Wall Street Journal titled The Art of Showing Pure Incompetence and Unwanted Task. So the article outlines stories of people who fall into this behavior when they simply cannot bother to do the tasks that were given to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it was coined uh, weaponized incompetence, it was called strategic incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> so the, Politicians. Yeah, so quote um, from the article, it says, strategic incompetence isn't about having a strategy that fails, but a failure that succeeds. It almost always works to deflect work one doesn't want to do without ever having to admit for it. For junior staffers, it's a way to attaining power through powerlessness. For managers, it can use their status by pretending to be incapable of lowly tasks. So within- so give me an example. So the example within the office environment, it will be um, a manager who doesn't know how to operate the copy machine. I think no one fucking knows how to use the copy machine. And yeah. then someone like in the lower um, position, for example, the a secretary secretary or the reception yep. staff will come up, you know, that she will pick up. Usually it will be a she, you know, because oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the this sort of... Uh, manual kind of type of work are usually being picked up by a female uh, worker. Like I said, uh, copy machine, coffee machine, or organized social events yeah. that might not be the man responsible for your position, but somehow it was given to you. And if you want to deflect the duty to someone else, you start by asking people around saying that, oh, how do you book a venue? Or saying that, oh, you've never done it before and eventually that the task will be assigned. Yeah, rolls off your back. Yeah, to, it will be assigned. You know, to, um, just to um, throw throw something in your conversation, mm-hmm. I was thinking um, I feel like this happens a lot in parenting. Like the father mm-hmm. often just says, I can't, I don't know how to change it. Yeah, yeah, this is what I've got to go thing, right? later. Yeah, yeah or actually, like the father says, oh, um, what grade is my child in again? Or like, <laughs> oh, you, like to the wife, oh, you know the child's um, teacher, you go and deal with all that shit. That's yeah. literally what like every single guy seems to do. <laughs> That's what I'm going to get into after I finish um, okay. talking yeah. about the work uh, environment. I've actually witnessed a strategic incompetence uh, during my uni years when lecturers, usually older white male lecturers, who doesn't know how to operate projectors. <laughs> I just kind of expose my age. No one uses projectors nowadays. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and then comes along, you know, like the first year students were saying that, oh, I'll volunteer. I know how to do right. it. Right. Right. They will help to set up and which will end up doing every lecture for the rest of the semester. Right. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So that's one of the strategic incompetence. You know, the, the lecturers just think, oh, I, I don't know how to do it. But yeah, I'll get someone else to do it. Yeah. Outsource, outsourcing basically tasks. Yeah. And it happens within friend group or family groups as well. There's always one person that end up uh, taking the responsibility or the duty mm. organizing and planning events. A woman. Yeah. A woman. Like in, I can say this with my, like, I I can say this with the, the most ridiculous degree of confidence I can ever, <laughs> I've, I've never been more confident in the statement, but what you just said, mm. like hands down, it's a woman in every single family. 
yeah, probably you, in, in Australia at least. Very, very It's a woman who is given that responsibility. I can't, you, I would love to see, actually, I, I, I would love to see. I'd love to see a man organise Christmas. Obviously, obviously, yeah, but um, I, I, I think that is more, that is more impossible than seeing a pig fly. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. You don't have that much faith. Zero faith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this incompetence has been adapted into like relationships, Sophia, whereupon uh, one person in the relationship explicitly says that they cannot do the domestic task, and eventually the other person in the relationship will need to pick up it to do it or teach that the incompetent person to do that domestic task. Uh, more detailed explanation will be that one person kind of fakes their incompetence or pretends to be cute about it. Yeah, you, you know, just saying that I can't do it in order to manipulate their partner into completely doing it. Right. Yeah. So the intention is to shift the burden back to the other partner. Yeah. Some TikTok users even goes into calling it um, weaponized incompetence as an abuse tactic. Uh, guilt tripping, gaslighting, which I won't deny because it happens to a lot of women. Mm. Yeah. Actually, a lot of very frustrated women on TikTok saying that um, they it's called weaponized incompetence. Uh, they're calling out things that their partner wouldn't do. Uh, for example, the one woman saying that her partner would not even go into bother to learn the items of the grocery list the shopping list that they have she um cuts out tiny pictures of the items <laughs> so the what men can no you're, you're ridiculous that, that is that you're kidding um, that, is, that is that is out of this world yeah unbelievable. yeah unbelievable um, that is unbelievable yeah. that is unbelievable i cannot i cannot i just i know, can't. I know. um what else do I have here? Uh, so there's a male partner asking his female partner, I assuming wife or girlfriend, how to operate washing machine, how to separate clothes. Um, Are there really men out there like this? I don't know. That's why. Uh, that's why I'm really shocked. You know, I get this. I'm sure that there are a lot of people experience this when a partner asks, "Where are my socks?" You know, oh, mm-hmm. simple items that. It's right there in front of you, mm. and they keep asking. Oh, I can't find it. I, I've heard stories from my own social circle, um, especially if your parent, you know, do not assess this habit of your kids. It happens with kids as well, not just partners. You know, get your kids to look for that item themselves, or otherwise, this kind of learned behavior will one day become like weaponized or used on someone. Yeah, a learned vulnerability or yeah. learned, um, learned, what is it? Uh-huh. It's like, uh, I forget the, I, I cannot for the life of me remember what the term is, but it's like learned, um, in, in comp- I guess incompetency is another word. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like an inability to do something, but like you, you learn that. And I think it's a very feminine thing. Like we're, le- we're kind of taught as women to not be or like to not know how to fix things around the house so that oh. we let the men do it or like the car the car issues where like well we'll get yeah, the guy it's to do a it very kind of thing, you know? focus as in um, learned helplessness oh I see. yeah that's what i was looking yeah. for learned helplessness is like a state that occurs after a person experience it says here um 
the three elements of learned helplessness is becoming passive when confronted with traumatic events, difficulty, mm -hmm. um, like just refusing to do something mm -hmm. when you when a situation seems bad or unchangeable. Mm, yeah, I think it's so funny that little things within um, when your parents, when you're being a parent uh, with someone, or when you're in a relationship. Um, mm. I don't talk about this and if I don't look into this I didn't know that it expands into so much nuance as well um, people who will weaponize their uh, incompetence would usually will say that oh you'll do it better you know it becomes like a gas yeah exactly yeah I don't I can't do it you'll do better yeah, you, I do, you do it better you know, so I'll, I'll make it worse you. you know yeah you know, uh, or saying it's kind of like a reverse parade, uh, praising the partner yeah. saying, oh my God, you're amazing. Next time you should do it. You know, I'm hopeless. Yeah. Using positive praising and kind of dumbing himself down a level to get away from the duty. Yeah, kind of just like Hamish Blake saying, oh, isn't mum's <laughs> cooking so great? Let's give her a round of applause. But like next, but she's, you're still like. You're, you're, ne you're never going to cook. She's, yeah, she's the one who's cooking. <laughs> Yeah. And also, while I was looking up this, I don't know why, it's just for some reason, randomly that Amy Schumer's um, video clip um, popped up on my feed. And there's actually, I think Amy Schumer must have picked up this turn recently as well. And she wants to promote it as well. Um, she said that she looked, uh, she said, please look up weaponized incompetence and listen to the rest of Inside Amy Schumer's season five official soundtrack on Spotify. There's actually a song about it. <laughs> It's actually a song about weaponizing competence. So it's basically a song about the guy saying that his wife spies him close. So it's a yeah. weaponizing competence as well because he doesn't know his own size. He doesn't know what goes well on himself. So the mm. wife basically mothers him, mm. his clothes to dress him. Yeah. I, I have no words for that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Just allowing the man to perpetually be a five-year-old boy for the rest of exactly. his life, basically. Yeah. So they're putting the minimal effort. So they're most of the time female partners picks up the slack, and patriarchal and capitalist society doesn't value domestic tasks or and also caring tasks. That's why essentially devalues what the society has long ex long expected the task to be completed by woman. So that's why a lot of men don't pick it up and. Um, I think weaponizing competence is not just simply a person that shows a lack of ability to do something. It's more of a person who can't even be bothered to do the task because sometimes they consider themselves too superior to do those, the, you know, the bare minimum and ask someone else to do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, almost like a form of oppression. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough. Oh, I was watching Abbott's Elementary, recommended by Jesse. Oh, yeah. Abbott's Abbott Elementary. Abbott's Elementary, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's so great. <laughs> it's another sitcom on Disney+. Disney+, Plus, yeah. Um, I picked up and weaponized incompetence on episode three. Oh, yeah. You know that the white teacher, the white male teacher, the young... The gay one? Um, Jacob? Is that yeah, his he's gay. Yeah. Yeah. He needed to teach a lesson about history of South Philadelphia. And yeah. he asked another female teacher who was from that area, but she refused. She initially refused. And then he purposely taught the class 
in a very very terrible way that the female teacher need to step in and saying that oh I'll fix it up, you know I'll、What? get someone to you know help you out. Yeah, so that is a weaponized incompetence as well. Jesus, like, yeah, I don't remember that. Immediately, I immediately saw that out, but it kind of backfired on him. That's another story. Wait, is this the second season or the first season? First season episode. Oh right, okay.、Yeah. Go back and watch it, and、okay. you'll, you'll pretty much pick it up what he was、okay. trying to. Do. Yeah,、mm. right. He purposely taught the class really bad when she walked past his class. Right, right. And she's like, "Oh, that's terrible. You're rubbish." Yeah, I'll 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 come and help you. Yeah, you know, basically, it's,、um, it's almost like this trait is like invented by the patriarchy in order to just force women into doing more labor. Yes, yes, yeah. At the end of the day, and you know that it happens amongst women as well. Weaponizing competence that、yeah. I heard among Taiwanese women was that some families, when you marry, um, you live with your husband's、uh, family, and you have.、Yeah. In law and father in law living with you. This is not a really good thing. I think it's a bad thing. But Taiwanese woman uses to kind of protect and defend themselves. There was an advice that I've seen going around with a couple of foreigners was that when you're married, can you do as much as domestic chores as possible, but do them really, really bad, and your mother in law will step in and tell、oh、you to doing it that you don't have to do it. So in a way, that's like a weaponized incompetence. Jesus,、wow. yeah. What kind of fucked up mentality is that? But at the end, it doesn't benefit women at all because、yeah. the mother-in-law picks up the slack. The men don't do it. You know,、yeah. it's not really eradicating the patriarchy because、no. you're leaving it to other women to do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah.、So、all, that- all of this is just <laughs> shocking. Just so shocking. I know, it's really. Forcing the patriarchy, like,、yeah. doesn't really help. Yeah. So, any last words? Final words?、Um, <laughs> so glad I don't. I'm not betrothed to a man-child. So glad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Saying yeah. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you would like to support us, what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week.、Um, we'll talk to you next time. Where it'll be summer. Wait, it's already summer. We'll be next week. Okay, it's yeah, summer. Looking forward. Stay safe, Bye. everyone. Bye.